and welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer. For today's show, we have an old friend who's going to be coming on to talk about cruise excursions and a new friend to discuss her very popular TV show. But let's turn to our old friend first. And I don't mean she's old. I mean, I've known her for a while now. (laughs) Her name is Andrea Sachs. She is a reporter for the Washington Post. Hey, Andrea, thank you as always for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Oh, I love to be on it. Thank you for inviting me back. Well, you have an article up on one of the most controversial topics in travel, I think. It is called How to Find a Cruise Excursion You'll Actually Enjoy. I would add a coda to that. I would say how to find a cruise excursion that you're not going to get ripped off on. I was going to say that you can afford or not feel guilty about, but yes, the same context of they're just so overpriced and there are just so many of them. And they're, you know, it's kind of that group mentality where it's all the cruisers taking the same trip. So you kind of, if you're an independent traveler, you kind of question whether it's the right fit for you. Sure. And and you make the point pretty early on in the article that it's important to tackle this problem early. Yes. Even though people think about cruising as this dummy-proof vacation where you just kind of get on the boat and everything is given to you, that's not the case with cruise ex- shore excursions, right? No, you actually have to make decisions really early. So I learned, so I just took Icon of the Seas and that was kind of the, the inspiration for this piece because, and I've cruised a lot. And I got on board and so many of the shore excursions have been snapped up. And I thought, oh, you know, we're going to three islands or three destinations, 7,000 people. Surely they'll accommodate for all of us, but they didn't. So a lot of like jet skiing, some of the private cabanas, things really, really booked up. Um, There was a a private ferry to St. John's because we were in St. Thomas and you're stuck because it's limited capacity. And so I know I talked to a lot of people and they were like, I guess I'll just stay on the ship which huh. is not an alternative for me. So as soon as they open that booking window, you should at least start looking and you can book safely and you can cancel if you change your mind, depending on the ship, maybe before departure, maybe actually on the boat, but you can actually, I, I would look into it just to snag it, hold it, and then release it if you don't feel like it's right for you. Well, what surprised me was on the more pricey ships like Region 7 Seas, where you supposedly get a free shore excursion, you have to do this on those two because those shore excursions sell out. Yes, that's a great point. Yes, the ones that are free, whether it's just one or two per trip or every day you get a shore excursion, those also will will book up. So you need to snap those up pretty quick. And those that's especially ruthless because they're free. So everyone wants to get on those. You don't address this in your article, but when my colleague Jason Cochran was recently on a cruise, it was one of those introductory cruises for the industry before it had been open to the public. So he noticed that there was a kind of a, a forum for travel agents and travel agents were very, very angry at the cruise line because of shore excursions, because a lot of their passengers were booking shore excursions and then hearing just a couple of days before that the shore excursion had been canceled. And the cruise executive said that at the height of the pandemic, a lot of people who used to offer 
shore excursions that the uh, cruise line would contract with got out of the business. And so it's made even more of a squeeze now. You didn't address this in the article, but did you come across this at all? I did come across, I did make one line that kind of refers to that, not so much about the pandemic and how they've lost a lot of tour guides. A lot of people have had to leave tourist destinations because they didn't have work. But I know that the cruise line set a minimum level of uh, people who sign up. And if they don't get that minimum number, they'll cancel. And they don't tell you until like the night before the morning before. So you don't really have time to find an alternate. But I know they did do that. And the other extreme is that it gets overcrowded. And they've like, for me, they didn't know where to put me on this shore excursion around St. Kitts and Nevis. And I got the little jump seat in the van, you know, the one that's like right in the middle, and it's <laughs> made of brick, and it it, it and it locks everybody's exit, so they all have to wait for me for we have to wait for me to leave first. So, but you're right; they do they will cancel, and they do not have the infrastructure that they used to, or they're cramming more people onto fewer excursions. And right. so, these groups that maybe were 16 are probably twice as large now. We must have had like 40 people on our trip. It was and, and as we as we referred to at the very start, these cruise cruise uh, excursions are also often overpriced. You quoted a cruise expert who booked through a private company a shore excursion that was identical to what the cruise lines were offering. So identical that when they went on that this shore excursion, they were there with the official cruise passengers. And what did they find in terms of pricing? Can you tell that story a little oh, bit? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So it's one of my experts um, who runs a blog and is uh, he's taken 75 cruises on 18 cruise lines. So he is a veteran cruiser. And he said in Hawaii, he signed up, signed up for a shore excursion. It was identical. He was They took a different shuttle, but they were on the same river cruise. It was an identical itinerary, and he paid half the amount. So he was saying they will t- typically upcharge anywhere from like 25 to 40 to 50%. So how do people find these independent shore excursions? And why isn't why aren't people doing this for every single port stop? Okay. Well, the advantages, disadvantages. One of the advantages of going with the cruise line is they will not leave you. So even if that shore excursion is delayed, the ship will not leave without you. And if you are independent- If you're on the official. If you're on the one, yeah. If you sign up with them, they are in communication on my ship, on my cruise, there was a trip that got in late and you saw the little bodies running down the dock and everyone's cheering for them. If they had not signed up for a shore excursion with the cruise line, we might have left them. I can't say for sure, but they do threaten you that they will leave you. I got to tell you a story. I was with my uh, husband and my daughters were then four and eight. And my eight-year-old was on crutches and we thought we were so smart. We took the public bus into Athens from the cruise port, uh, walked up to the top of the Parthenon. You know, my husband had the eight-year-old on his shoulders took the public bus back. And as we were get watching, as the bus was arriving to the port, we noticed that there was all of this action, but there didn't seem to be any people in the port, mm. any, any passengers, and they were getting ready to take up the gangplank. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we, my husband put my, his, the, our daughter, Veronica, on his shoulders again. I took the other daughter, put her on my shoulders, we started yelling and running, 
and they stopped. Board, oh. <laughs> but we were so lucky that day. So they really do it. Like I imagine, oh, they're just saying that just to tough love, but they really lo- will leave you. And yeah. that's not a terrible place to be left, but still, all your stuff is in the ship, and you still have a cruise to finish. And your passport is on the ship. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a big risk. And that's why what I learned from my research, if it's a complicated excursion, like if it requires multiple forms of transportation or it's a distance away, then it's best to go with the ship. Like some ports are, some ports are, you know, like 45 minutes away just from the nearest town because they have to dock farther away. And I, when I was in the Mediterranean, I wanted to see Portofino and I had to take a bus and a ferry. And so I signed up with a cruise ship because I felt like so many things could go wrong with that. Right. But if it's a simple excursion, like going to Megan's Bay and St. Thomas, just going to a beach to snorkel, you can just grab a cab for like $18, maybe buy cheap snorkel gear, bring your own, um, whatever it may be, and save so much money. Right. And, and I should say, you didn't mention this, and I wonder if this is still the case, but it used to be that if you went through a company that really did specialize in shore excursions like uh, cruiseexcursions.com, they would offer a, a guarantee that they'd get you back to the port and that if they didn't, they would get you to the next port that would be included in the price. I haven't researched this since the pandemic, so I don't know if those guarantees still exist. Do you? I don't, but that's, I mean, I should have looked into that. I will look into that as soon as we finish this conversation because I did not come across that, but I also wasn't aware of it. I did yeah. look at some of the ones like Viator and shore excursions that people use, but I did not dig deep. And that would be amazing if they offer that guarantee. Cause that to me is the most panicky thing. Like I can't fully relax because I'm always looking at the clock. It's like trying to catch like a connecting flight when you're on a different ticket. It's like, okay, this is great, but can I still see the ship? And so it's not fully relaxing. But nor is it fully relaxing to be like crowded on a little minivan and being carted around and. Right. I mean, I mean, uh, we always said about shore excursions that if you go with the independent companies, you're usually in smaller groups. And because there are few, you know, cats to herd, you often will see more on these trips as well as paying less. Absolutely. Um, And you can personalize it. I know on the one that I took in St. Kitts, we, we spent. It felt like forever at this lunch place that I didn't want to be at. I wanted to explore. But if you're with a private, you could say, hey, you know, we're happy just grabbing some food and then like eating it on the way. So there's a lot more flexibility. But with these group tours through the cruise lines, they're so rigid and you follow this itinerary and you can't really speak up and say, hey, can we do this instead? Right, right. And you also make the point that it might be a good idea to get out of the area of the port before starting your independent shore excursion. Why is that? Oh gosh, it's, I mean, you've seen it. It's a circus and you are fish in a barrel. Like they, it's so easy for them to just pluck you out and say, oh, take my cab or here's my moped, which is dangerous. Um, Here's my scuba trip. And so they just increase the prices because I know it's the cruise industry and they just want, um, you know, people who are easy and are not going to question whether there's value to that or what the itinerary is. So it's best to, you don't have to go far, just step across the street, go a block down. If there's like a little downtown area, just something that is a couple feet away from the terminal, because it's just going to be such a madhouse. And they really, I feel, take advantage of the cruisers. Right. And you also recommend something that that is always a good idea, 
talk to the locals? Do you do that well in advance of your shore excursion? Or do you do that once you've gotten away from the terminal and are looking around for things to see and do and eat? I think it could be a mix. If you do reach out to, which I recommend as well, always reach out in advance because as you were saying, with the pandemic, a lot of places have closed. They might have shorter hours. They might not offer the excursion daily. If possible, just reach out, let them know you're coming in on this day. You want to sign up. And then you could also say, oh, I know the excursion's a half day. Do you have any recommendations for an afternoon for a beach or a museum or whatever? Or just like, you know, we're so used to as independent travelers, just striking up conversations and asking locals. So you could do a little bit of a mix. Yeah. Now, is there anything I missed of your advice? I thought it was a really complete, helpful article. Oh, thank you. You do have to be careful. Safety is an issue, especially with some of these ports that are now having State Department advisories. So do be cautious. I know when I was in the Bahamas, I just got on a public bus and I had so much fun just riding around. But I don't know, you know, I would have to think twice about that. Just Oh, you know, I mean, the Bahamas was moved from a level one to a level two warning. Yeah. But France and Spain are both at level yeah. two warnings. I, I I, you know, I could see being nervous in, say, Jamaica, yeah. uh, where where really tourists have been targeted. Uh, but I, 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 I still would feel pretty comfortable in the yeah. Bahamas. Yeah, I think just look into it. Just be aware. No, I think we covered a lot. I think it really is important. Just even though you want an easy vacation, just take this little extra step to research because you might come across an amazing excursion that is so unique. To this experience. And if you had just gone through the pages and pages and pages of what the cruise line offered, it might just be disappointing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's always such a pleasure to speak with you, Andrea. Thanks so much you for too. appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Always great to be on it. Thank you. I read a lot of travel books. And one of my least favorite was Eat, Pray, Love, because it seemed to imply that you had to have an existential crisis going on in your life for you to travel solo. Whereas the exact opposite is true. Traveling solo can be a very, very joyous, life-affirming thing to do for yourself. That is what my next guest thinks, and she's making a career out of shouting that news to the world. She is Pamela Holt. She has a a TV show called Me, Myself, and the World, The Art of Solo Travel. It can be seen on Amazon Prime, Amazon Freebie, Go Traveler, and many other places. Hey, Pamela, welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you. It is an indeed an honor to to be part of your podcast. Of course, <laughs> growing up in the 80s and 90s, well, a little bit in the 70s, Fromer's Guide was the guide to travel, the guide to exploration. Please don't put us in the past. Is, still is, damn it. <laughs> it is, oh my gosh. But it, like it shaped my travel career. You know, it was the, the spring off point for the career that I've created, but the, the travel passion that I have, it was, it was, it sat on the, the shelf and you stared at it every day thinking, when do I get to go there? And, And like I had mentioned to you earlier to, to have the pages earmarked and then to experience that page that you, you got to witness in person and make notes in the, yeah. It was just so exciting. It's so exciting. 
I absolutely agree. Definitely. And and let's let's go a little further forward in your story. I was interested to see that both you and I have musical theater backgrounds. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you were an actor singer just like I was. I did that for many years. I was constantly playing teenagers falling in love somehow. And then you had a big event in your life that changed its trajectory. So, so tell, tell our listeners your story. Yeah. Um, in my mid-30s, I had a traumatic car accident that really just left me immobilized. And since you're a musical theater, I was three blocks away from my final callback for a Broadway tour. Oh. Smokey um, Joe's. Yeah. And of course, never showed up and had all these messages from my agent saying, you booked the part. Like, what? where Where are you? Where were you? Oh. And didn't call back for 30 days. And so during recovery, I made an 80 by 50 promise to myself that I would not only really live life to the fullest, but travel to 80 countries by my 50th birthday. And I landed in Bhutan on my actual 50th birthday. It took some moving of pieces, but to get that flight out of Thailand and land there was so exciting. Wow. And were you alone? I guess that's the question because, you know, you, you, you made a living now talking about solo travel. Were you alone on your 50th birthday? Uh, you know, you're never really alone because True. you meet such wonderful people. Um, my guides, they, they don't really celebrate with a birthday cake, but they had somehow looked it up and they had a almost like a, um, oh my gosh, like this whipped cream kind of cake for me for my 50th birthday. <laughs> and wow. it was so cool. And in exchange, I brought them some Kraft macaroni and cheese, cooked it up in this hotel kitchen and let the whole hotel staff taste it. <laughs> did they like it or did they turn up their noses at it? Politely said thank you and did not take another bite. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, I I planned a golden jubilee. I planned my golden jubilee for my fiftieth birthday. I went solo traveling in seven or eight countries, and really just took in my fiftieth birthday. And I love what you said earlier. Like I didn't need an existential crisis to take myself on a fiftieth birthday trip. I wanted to explore. I wanted to expand, and really grow and celebrate my fiftieth birthday. So I went solo traveling. And you went uh, to Asia, uh, which yes. I think, you know, I think sometimes people think, oh, solo travel, I will go shopping in Paris and drink a lot of champagne. Uh, how do you choose, first of all, where you're going to travel and then where you're going to film your travels? And do are there places that you avoid as a single woman? Ah, yes. Um so first question, how do I choose? Usually there's a little bit of a spark. For me, it was um, Anchor Wat. That kind of started it, and then it expanded out to seven other countries. And Bhutan came along, which was so exciting to, to be able to experience that country where they're at right now, a carbon-neutral yeah. country. Carbon-neutral um, and a, a place that, that has a gross, uh, it's the gross national, it's not the gross national product there. The government looks at the gross national happiness of its people, which I think is very beautiful. And you feel it when you're there. You really huh. do. It's, it's really neat. Um, so first, it usually is a spark of something I've seen, something I've looked forward to, um, usually historical destination. And 
I'm inquisitive. I'm an inquisitive traveler. So I'm constantly looking for new places to explore and to sort of push the limits, my own limits and limits of female travel. Dubai and really, honestly, the whole Middle East is on my list next. Um, And so there are places I avoid. As I've gotten older, I definitely feel more confident and I feel more confident in myself and I'm able to hold my ground and sure. perhaps educate people along the way that I'm not a commodity. I'm a person, I'm a woman. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of places I avoid, but I always trust my gut. And I say this everywhere, trust my gut and pack my wits. And anywhere I'm at, I just pay attention. I'm a smart traveler. I enjoy and I I travel with joy, but I do pay attention to where I'm at and the people, my surroundings, and being safe. Sure, sure. You know, I I have a lot of male travelers on this show who write memoirs and and they say, well, I got off my motorcycle and uh, I met this wonderful guy and he said, come stay in my apartment. And it was only a one room apartment. We were sharing a bed, but it was fine. And I thought, oh, dude, you know, I... (laughs) do that as a woman. You know, you, there are certain things you have to be a little careful about. The great Evelyn Hannon, who who founded Journey Woman, she once told me that what she does when she goes to a new place is she goes into a very local store and buys something small so that she has the the branded shopping bag. And that makes her look like a local, even if she totally looks different than everybody else there. They probably wouldn't think that a visitor would go into this, you know, very local store. And, and so that might keep her safer. That's, I thought that was very interesting advice. That is brilliant. I think that's one of the most brilliant safety tips I've heard in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to on my next show. <laughs> you, so you're doing your show on solo travel, but... And and I saw another person ask you this on a on a TV interview you did. Are, don't you have a crew with you? Aren't you faking it? Yeah, um, actually, I've walked the walk before I film. Huh. So for me, I went to I I did seven eight countries, and I was a solo traveler. And I went six back six months later back to film so that I could experience as a true solo traver, traveler and then recapture it later on film. And there's, of course, some a few little sprinkled in experiences, but pretty much everything I do on season one and season two of Me, Myself, and the World, I did previously by myself as a solo traveler. So that means you recontact the people that you met the first time around, or, or what does that mean? Yeah. So... As um, as an executive producer, uh, when I'm traveling, I'm you know secretly scouting out locations and people that I think would be really good on film, whether it's their character or their experience or even that they're good English speakers. So I do. I go back and I instead of reenacting, I shouldn't say instead of reenacting the experiences, I take the experience over, uh-huh. and I let people. People very quickly forget that they have a microphone on. And Do so, oh, okay. yes. Yes. And so, how many people are in your crew? So, how, how many people are pointing a camera at them? There's just two of us. And oh, okay. um, I was a film student. And so, um, sometimes I'm filming, but I have a cinematographer, cameraman, 
and he's usually set up cameras. So we'll walk into a space and things are already filming and very quickly, you know, it's about engaging with the person you have on camera and being present. You know, this as an actor. Uh Sure, sure, sure. And the cameras just kind of melt into the background and we capture things as they're happening. So, so give us an example of, of one of the one of the experiences you didn't reenact but redid. Mm, the Coochie Tunnels outside of Saigon. Um, I had the tour guide take me to a second location so that I was exploring. So I'd gone first, gone through the Coochie Tunnels on my own. And the Coochie field. Tunnels were the uh, – this is where the uh, forces – of the Vietnamese hid and were able to do surprise attacks on the Americans during the Vietnamese war because they had this extensive labyrinth of of tunnels, right? That's what you're discussing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And so I had been in some of the coochie tunnels that the Vietnamese government has opened up to the public, but I had him take me to some of the, um, the deeper tunnels so that I could experience the same event but in a new way by exploring new tunnels, seeing the war room, seeing some of the living quarters. So that was really neat. And something that was unplanned in season two, I I had gone back to Train Street, which is in Hanoi, Vietnam, and it's literally a street where the train comes through. And when I was there, I met a guy who said, we have a new company taking people around the back streets of Vietnam on old vintage Russian motorcycles. And I have a woman who has an American woman who has come to Vietnam to meet with a Vietnamese soldier, the two sides, 50 years after the Vietnam War, and we'd like you to join us. Wow. And so I had the honor of introducing these two people. And as they're reconnecting 50 years later, sharing their experience of the Vietnam War, and that was totally unplanned oh. and a literal a, a goldmine of what solo travel can mean to people. Yeah. So, solo and travel. No, I mean, I think probably some of our listeners are thinking, was there any animosity? Uh, because they were former combatants. I mean, what, what was that conversation like? Yeah, it was so special. It, he, uh, the gentleman had been through three wars, the Indochina huh. war, the Vietnam war, and I'm, I'm sorry, forgetting the name of the other war, uh, the war with the Chinese. And it, he was so gracious and so welcoming. And the American woman, Pat, that I was with, she and I literally looked at each other and we thought she joined the Vietnam War to annihilate this person. And he's passing out snacks, introducing us to his family, all his animals, and playing every instrument he knows and sharing his culture and his joy. And one of the neatest things was they told us that the parents, his parents, and he tells younger generations, look, we went through this, but we as people cannot hold on to it. We have to go forward. We have to connect with each other and find that commonality. And that made the whole interview so special. And she was in tears, like trying to keep herself together. Coming to realization, why had she joined a war to kill someone she didn't know? Right. Right. Like how wonderful he is. He wanted to be a school teacher. He didn't want to fight in the war. He was mm. forced to. So yeah. if we... No, sh- I, I found Vietnam incredibly moving as a place to go. I watched the entire 
12 hours of the Ken Burns documentary series before I got there. And at the end of that series, the entire country is in rubble. And so to see how they've come back and to be welcomed as an American so open-heartedly was uh, one of the most moving things I've ever had happen to me as a traveler. It was really incredible. Those experiences, I think, expand for people what solo travel, travel in general, can be, that connection. Mm -hmm. And importantly, solo travel. Why do people solo travel? And it's not the 20-year-old with a backpack. I do. Um, I have different interviews in each episode of my show, and one of them is a, a tech guy who I met on the streets of Hanoi, or sorry, Saigon, and he was from Los Angeles. He was stuck in front of a computer for his whole life, so this was an opportunity to learn to connect and communicate with people in real time, and right. that was his reason for solo traveling. You know, we met at the Travel and Adventure Show. We were just in Phoenix, and I met two women who told me that they only do tours because they felt that they would miss something important unless there was an expert with them and that they didn't have time in their daily lives to plan their own travels and that, that this is what they wanted to do. And I, it kind of broke my heart because I think when you're on a tour... And even when you're just with another traveler, you're always looking at each other. It becomes a group experience. You create this bubble. And yet when you're a solo traveler, you have nowhere to look but outside. You're, and you, you can, well, you, you're more likely to meet people, I think, uh, when you're solo traveling. Yeah. Actually, the, the lady Pat in, um, I think, episode eight or nine, she talks about her circle being open to new mm. friends, new food, and new experiences as a solo traveler is exactly what you're saying. I think also, you know, solo travel, like you were saying earlier, first of all, it's not just for women. I meet probably 50, 60% of solo travelers are men that I meet on the road. And they're all craving that connection, that independence, that freedom that comes with solo travel as well. Yeah. And I, I think if you solo travel, it'll change your life forever for the better. I oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, before I let you go, how do people watch your show and tell us about their two seasons now? When's the next one coming out? All of that. Yes. Season two just came out. It is streaming now on Amazon Prime and Go Traveler. Uh, season two, I really get to the root, uh, the core of solo travel going off the beaten path in the back streets of both Hanoi, Vietnam, and Bangkok, Thailand. And season one is in through Bali, Indonesia, and Vietnam. And it's streaming on uh, a lot of platforms, including Amazon Prime, Amazon Freebie, Go Traveler, Tubi, and more. <laughs> and okay. I really started, you know, I've redefined solo travel. It's S-O-L-O, -O, Seeking Out Life's Opportunities. And I encourage people to join my, so I call it my solo travel revolution. And you can find me on social at the Pamela Holt because it's a, it's a landing place for other people to have inspiration to really discover the world on their own terms. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Pamela, for appearing on the Firmer Travel Show. Thank you for having me. We've reached the end of another show. I thank you so much for listening. And I'd encourage you to head over to farmers.com. 
We have some really interesting articles this week. We're talking about the new and really consumer-unfriendly policies being put in place by Disney World. We also have some very good deals we've highlighted. And unlike other sites, we're not being given a commission for shining a light on these deals. There's a really good one from Air Tahiti Nui for people who might want to go to New Zealand in the coming months and maybe stop in Tahiti along the way. I actually found that one and wrote it up. And some other really interesting stuff there, as well as in our Fromer guidebooks. You can find those wherever books are sold. We have a whole slew of new ones out. My New York City guide is out, as well as new books to Portugal, to New Zealand, to Italy, to Spain, uh, to Washington, D.C. I could go on, but I will stop there. Thank you so much for listening, and to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Watching cable Well